Ready? Born ready. Y'all, we are changing up a little bit on today's episode for the pod, your favorite political pod, Where the Party At. Today, we have none other than Holly McCall. If you are a Georgia person, you might not know this name, but if you live in a neighboring state, Tennessee, you most certainly know this name. Holly is the editor of the Tennessee Lookout, which is a nonprofit news outlet in Tennessee, And if you haven't been paying attention to the news, a whole lot has happened in Tennessee in the span of 10 or so days. Um, So let's get right into it. Holly, what in the world is going on in Tennessee? What happened? Well, first of all, Saba, thank you for having me come in to talk to your guest. Uh, I know you're based in Georgia and Atlanta, and my mama was from Atlanta, and I love that area. So this all start well... The recent episode, let's say, started on Monday, March 27th. Uh, That's just over two weeks ago. And that is when there was a school shooting um, at a private Christian school. Six people were shot by a former student, including three nine-year-olds and three adults. And, you know, Tennessee, I know Georgia's got its issues, but y'all are way ahead of us. Tennessee has some of the laxest gun laws in the state. And every year, our Tennessee legislature passes new laws to make it easier to get weapons, to open carry weapons, to carry the weapons without permits. And so in the wake of this shooting, uh, people in the Middle Tennessee, Nashville area were, of course, extremely upset and no more so than students. So the day after the shooting, or maybe a couple of days after the shooting, there was a huge student protest at the Capitol. I mean, probably a thousand people, give or take. I mean, there were some, there were some chaperones and they were mostly students. And the legislature just completely failed to acknowledge them. They said, of course, it's too soon to talk about action on guns. We're not going to, you know, we don't want to defile the memory of these people who were killed by talking about guns or talking about legislation. They didn't even say the word guns. The governor was silent. And so when you had these students in the State House of Representatives Thursday, a couple of days after the shooting, um, two young lawmakers, both of whom are black, Representative Justin Jones from Nashville and Representative Justin Pearson from Memphis, I think they're both about 27, decided to, to do something about it, to acknowledge these kids. And the House Speaker all session, these are both rookie freshman legislators, has cut their mics off in the middle of them speaking, trying to address the House, and was doing it that day. And so finally, the two of them just approached the front of the House um, and started to address the students in the balcony. And about 15 seconds into that, the House Speaker called a recess. And so they continued to stand there with a third lawmaker, Gloria Johnson, a 60-year-old white woman, And the three of them stood at the front of the house. They had a small bullhorn, and they used that to address the students at the balcony. And that devolved into spectacle we have arrived at just a few days ago, in which this is completely unprecedented. Several members of the House of Representatives filed to expel the three in a 12-hour session last Thursday. 
both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, the young black man, were expelled. Gloria Johnson, the white woman, uh, was not expelled. She failed to be expelled by only one vote. And there's a lot to unpack there about why she was not expelled. And I'm, I'm going to cede this back to you and let you ask questions. But that that's the basis of what is going on. Thank you. Uh, it's certainly a lot. Um, I want to play a clip. The Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, was on the Clay and Buck show, and he was talking about the expulsion vote and what happened. Uh, let's take a listen, and then I'd like your reaction. We've had protests in Tennessee for our legislature for a long time. And so after uh, the covenant thing on March uh, that Monday, uh, there were protests about guns. And so everything I'm about to tell you has nothing to do with protest outside or the protesters outside the chamber outside the capitol we had three members on march 30th that were from the from the democrat caucus that approached the well where you speak, you speak from and and commandeered the the well started speaking without recognition which is a violation i gathered them out of order they pulled out a bullhorn and then started leading a protest from the house floor to those in the balcony inside the chamber to such a degree, we had to take a recess in order to gain control back. They stayed there disruptive for a long period of time. It took us about 45 minutes to get us back together to where we could continue with business. And so their actions were to lead a protest from inside the House chamber and disrupt the proceedings and disrupt behavior. Uh, they showed disruptive behavior themselves, which goes against their oath of office that they violated. Uh, in that regard. All right. And so we, all right. No, no, go keep going, sir. Oh, yeah. So then we felt like it rose to the level of expulsion. It's never happened in Tennessee's history that three members would violate the rules to such a degree. And so they were put up for expulsion. And so, uh, they each were afforded due process to make statements, to take questions and make their case on why they should not be expelled. Two of the members were expelled. The one member, Representative Johnson, who is trying to claim that she was saved because of she's white, which is totally wrong. When you were, if you listen to what she said, she said, I did not use the bullhorn that they used. They snuck in the bullhorn as well. I did not use the bullhorn, Representative Johnson said. I did not shout. I did not yell. I did not pound the podium. I did not sit on the podium. So Representative Johnson is the one who actually tried to distance herself from the other two to save herself and tried not to be expelled. And she got close. One vote would have had her expelled. So can you maybe shine some light on this? Is that true that Representative Johnson was trying to distance herself from their actions? Well, let me just start by saying that that entire statement of his is almost entirely lies. And that is not true about Representative Johnson. Um, Representative Johnson chose to walk to the well with those young men that day because I, I know her pretty well. And she's she was committed. She said to me, I did not want them to be standing up there by themselves. And honestly, I'm going to say I'm a little surprised there there are a lot of black lawmakers in the House Democratic Caucus and nobody else got up there with those young men except for Representative Johnson. She made that choice. 
Um, I think the reason that she did not get expelled was not just because she is white, but because she got she had two lawyers who offered to defend her. They are both white males who are former members of the legislature. As a matter of fact, they were in the legislature until November of 2022. And so they've got very close connections within that body. They're Democrats, but one's very conservative. And I think they were able to work that chamber enough to keep her. I think if she had not had them representing her, she would have been thrown out. But she's been very open about the fact that she said, look, the only reason I didn't get thrown out was because I'm a white woman. And no, she has not distanced herself from them. She has been a champion of those young men. Now, she did say in her defense, they said, the charges said she pounded on the podium. By the way, none of them pounded on the podium. Like, I'm telling you, that statement of his is an entire lie. Um, but they showed video that was shot by a Republican in the House chambers while this protest was going on. And she didn't do anything. She stood there with them and she chanted. She didn't use the bullhorn, which, by the way, nobody snuck that bullhorn in. It was just like nobody snuck it in. So, yeah, no, she... um you know, I will say this. She has stood very firm with those guys. Let's talk about the vote uh, that they took. Was this a pure party line vote or were there Republicans who did say that this is a bridge too far, the expulsion? Um, you know, there were a few. I think there were seven Republicans who crossed over to vote to keep Representative Johnson in. But again, I think that was because of the lobbying by her attorneys. And that's what they were there for. Like, no blame on her or them. Um, one crossed over to vote against expelling Justin Pearson. And I do not believe there were any crossovers to vote against expelling Justin Jones. I believe that was strictly party lines. No Democrats voted for expulsion. Got it. So you mentioned Representative Johnson had representation. She had an attorney. Did the other two not have attorneys? They did not. Um, and I had actually reached out to ask specifically, I know Representative Jones better than Representative Pearson because we're from the same area. And so I'd specifically reached out to somebody who was close to Representative Jones to ask if he was going to have representation. And the day before the hearing, I'd heard that he was going to. And I don't know what happened with that. But I will also say that Representative Johnson, who did have rep uh, representation, have two attorneys, um, the House barely let them speak, barely let them speak and said that it was out of order. Attorneys shouldn't be recognized. And so, again, I think they had done a little pre-wiring, talking to people behind the scenes, but they barely got to say anything. Um, I just like, I have so I have so, so many thoughts on this. And and I want you to ask your questions, but I, I would say I think they have been looking for an excuse especially to get rid of representative Jones. Um, Can you tell and it, it's a just bit more, I've I read some of the stories yeah. about him. Can you tell us a little bit more about his activism in Tennessee, which obviously predated what happened on the house floor? Uh, what has he been fighting for? I know there was a story you wrote about him wearing a dashiki and the response mm -hmm. to that uh, as well. Just give us a little bit more flavor about who he is and, and how he's approached politics. So both of uh, the Justins, Jones and Pearson, have been activists. Representative Justin Jones has been organizing and has been active in Tennessee for six or seven years. He came here to go to Fisk University, 
which is a renowned historically black college. Um, you know, it was one of the sort of the centers of the 1960s civil rights movement. John Lewis learned to organize there. James Bevel, uh, C.T. Vivian, Reverend C.T. Vivian helped organize people. And so I think Justin Jones really absorbed that organizing tradition. I first met him in early 2017 when the Trump administration and the Republican Congress were trying to undo the Affordable Care Act. And so Representative Jones at that time was working to pressure Tennessee's two Republican senators to vote to keep the Affordable Care Act. So he's organized for that. He was very active in the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis by white policemen. You know, there were Black Lives Matter uh, rallies, protests. And one of the things that he was vocal on was the fact that there was a statue, a bust in the Tennessee Capitol, literally right outside the House chambers of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was, you know, White nationalists like to argue about whether he was the grand wizard or the one founder. Anyway, let's just be clear that Nathan Bedford Forrest was one of the early leaders of the Ku Klux Klan. And before the Civil War, he sold enslaved people. And yet that was his bus right outside um, the Tennessee House of Representatives that black lawmakers walked by every single day. And so Representative Jones was one of the leaders of the movement to say, why is this still here? And in the process, he... You know, he angered a lot of people in power, particularly Republicans, because we have a supermajority Republican House. Uh, I'm going to go on the record. You will hear Republicans say that he assaulted the then Speaker of the House. What happened was he had a half-empty cup of Panera iced tea, and he did toss that. He did toss that at the Speaker. And he and I talked right after that incident, and I said, well, brother, it was not your finest moment. But, you know, he was a young man of 23 and he's matured and and he's continued to be a thorn in the side of these Republicans. And so I think as soon as he got elected, they were gunning for him. So it was inevitable that that mm-hmm. something to this degree would occur, you think? Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Representative, Representative Pearson wore the dashiki. Um, and that's another he was lectured on the floor of the House by a man who was convicted of domestic violence for hitting his wife in the face while she was holding their baby. So this is what this is what we're dealing with when we talk about decorum. So this man who had committed domestic violence stands up <clears throat> and lectured Representative Pearson about how disrespectful he was to wear a dashiki under the House and used the name of um, a former House leader, uh, Lady Lois DeBerry. She was the first black woman to be named the Speaker Pro Tem. And, you know, you would have to wonder why she never actually became the Speaker of the House. And you probably don't have to wonder too much. And she was very, she was very strict about the way she dressed, the way she looked, the way people presented themselves. But I actually wrote a column about this because I said, you know, I think what you have to consider is Representative DeBerry was elected to office in about 1974. Like, right at the tail end of that 60s civil rights movement in an era where black lawmakers weren't common and they weren't treated with respect. And so she had to comport herself in a way that commanded respect, that made people treat her with respect. And I think we see have seen in the last couple of weeks that um, things haven't really changed that much. They're still not treated with respect. I'm sorry about dogs barking here, Saba. I'm sorry. 
So this is obviously a national story, right? We're talking about it, and this is an Atlanta, Georgia-based podcast, but what is the reaction in Tennessee on the ground? I mean, you've got, let me just say, there are some Republicans who obviously think that they did the right thing. They are painting this as an, quote, insurrection on the scale of the January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. You just played a clip from the Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, who talked about how they disrupted House proceedings for 45 minutes. That That, that is a lie. But I think if you talk to anybody who is not a far-right-wing MAGA Republican, people are irate for a number of reasons. I think anybody who can, who is capable of looking at this through a lens of race, like you don't have to look too hard to see that this is the latest in a line of just racial incidents of racial discrimination across the state of Tennessee by the state government. So there's that. There's also the fact that we are an embarrassment in the national news. Um, we look like Alabama in the 1960s. All we're missing is, you know, George Wallace standing in the schoolhouse door. But I mean, this is, it's the latest embarrassment. People, many people in Tennessee, white, black, Hispanic, don't feel represented by this, by this state legislature. The issues that they undertake aren't issues that matter that affect most Tennesseans. The first bill they filed this year was to criminalize transgender health care. And one of the second bills, I think the second or third bill, was to criminalize certain drag show performers or drag performances. And now we have this. So a lot of people are fed up. And it, you know, I'm sorry that we're going through this, but this might be what it takes to get Tennesseans to organize because Tennesseans have been very apathetic about politics, Democrats and Republicans. Republicans don't have to be energized because they've got this natural base, but Democrats don't work very hard. I mean, we don't have the base of activism that Georgia has, and it might be something like this. This is just complete embarrassment, this complete disrespect. It might be what it takes to get Tennessee Democrats to actually organize. So one thing I was reading is that uh, research from the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, and it shows that mm. there is not a single competitive seat in the Tennessee State Senate, and that the Democrats have effectively just been redistricted so that there is no competition, right? And so we, we talk a lot in the podcast about what that means uh, when one party, there's not a checks and balances uh, between the two. So given that, how do you break that gerrymandering cycle and issue? Like, what is the what is the plan? Even if Democrats rally and say, "Okay, we're going to do something," realistically, what can they do when there aren't competitive seats? Yeah, that's one of those chicken and egg kind of things. Democrats still have to continue to run strong candidates. Because if people have no other option and they see no other message or no other option, there's definitely no way to change that pattern. Um, and Tennessee Democrats have not been great about running candidates this past year. I think like 65% of state house races were uncontested where there was not even a democratic candidate. We have a weak state democratic party right now. It's, it's been getting weaker for a decade or more. Um, 
because I think white Democratic leaders became very complacent and thought they would have the state forever. And so there is a need to put people up. But also, Tennessee has got to get some national attention. And the fact of the matter is, you know, Atlanta has gotten attention for years, and Georgia has gotten attention for years. And to be fair, Georgia's population is a little different from Tennessee's. Uh, there's like there's obviously been more potential seen for change, and that's happened. Tennessee um, has been sliding backwards into authoritarianism. The racism, which was hidden, I think, for years, is coming out. But Democrats wrote off Tennessee years ago, and so there's no help. Nobody from the Democratic National Committee, no national Democratic organizations are riding in because we've not been a battleground state. Republicans really don't do much in the state outside of Tennessee because they don't have to. And so somebody, I mean, we do our best here. Folks in Tennessee, try like we've got a couple of groups that try to organize, that try to register people to vote. Uh, there is one group called the Equity Alliance that I think your viewers should know about. It was started by... Two black women. One is now a state senator, Charlene Oliver. They registered 200,000 voters in 2018 as part of the Black uh, Black Voting Project. And so it's registering people to vote. And honestly, I hate to say it, but Tennessee like needs some national attention. So what is the what has been the reaction for like the business community, the, the chamber, you know? Oh, Lord, honey. People who are, are certainly paying attention to state politics and actions that they, they can move things with, with financial, right. They can move, they can move things with money. Um, I think about in, in Georgia when um, the film industry threatened to leave uh, because of anti-gay uh, legislation and the governor was able to get that bill killed. Is, has there been anything similar in Tennessee related to some of these issues we're talking about? Sadly, Saba, the Tennessee business community does not give a damn. The Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce um, has actually been supporting measures by the state of Tennessee to cut Nashville's city council in half. Um, there's behind the scenes lobbying for the state to take over the city sports authority, the airport authority, the convention center authority. And you made an excellent point. Like, I don't know that Republicans will see any need to dial back their efforts until it starts to hurt the state pocketbook. And, you know, we've got all of these big corporations that come to Tennessee now. Amazon's got a big presence here, Oracle. And they come here because, um, not because of the issues that we're talking about, but in, I mean, I think they're coming not in spite of it, but because of it. Tennessee Republican leaders like to brag on, oh, we're a low-tax state. And that's true. Very low business taxes, no income tax. Uh, however, a very regressive sales and grocery tax is almost 10%. And so I, I don't know that it, like anybody's going to speak up. Oracle, for instance, has a large presence here now, but their Larry Ellison, CEO, was a big Trump supporter. He funded the congressional race of somebody who was endorsed by Trump here. Um, but I did hear Thursday night, I heard from a lawyer in Nashville, a prominent lawyer who texted me and said, you know, I've heard from at least 20 Republicans tonight who are mortified about what is going on and think this is going to cost the state billions. So I don't know how that's going to play out yet. But we don't have like the film industry that you mentioned, I know has a huge presence in Georgia 
specifically around Atlanta, like we don't have a liberal or even progressive industry that flocks to Tennessee. We're we're drawing conservative organizations and businesses. Got it. So these two lawmakers have been expelled. Uh, the third lawmaker, uh, Gloria Johnson, is will remain. Um, we're all curious to see what the next, you know, what happens with her uh, political career. And then obviously what happens with the two gentlemen. So do you anticipate that they will be reinstated? I know, understand if you can walk us through what some of the options are. I understand one thing might be that the Nashville council could uh, appoint, uh, I believe is representative Jones back to his seat. Is, mm-hmm. Do you anticipate that would happen? We'll just walk us through what the scenarios might look like. Yeah. So because these, Gentlemen were expelled, you know, fairly soon after the last election. Um, the seat is going to have to have a special election. You can't just appoint somebody to stay for the next two years. But before that happens, because you cannot leave a seat vacant and leave people unrepresented, the city, the county bodies, county commission, in the case of Shelby County, where Representative Pearson is, and Nashville has a county, city, metropolitan area. So the city council is responsible for appointing replacement. So uh, by the time your show airs, by the time your listeners are hearing this, I anticipate that Representative Jones will have been reappointed to his seat. Um, I know there's been some effort in Shelby County, Memphis. There's been some lobbying by legislative members with the county commission to not reappoint Pearson, Representative Pearson. So the legislature has appropriated $200 million to give Shelby County to um, uh, rehabilitate the arena where the NBA's Grizzlies play. And so they're now threatening, hey, you know, if you reappoint Representative Pearson, we're not going to give you that money. So Nashville, like the people in Nashville, they just don't give a (laughs) you-know-what. They just don't care. Like they don't get along with the state. They're going to have their man back in there. They're going to appoint Representative Jones. I I feel pretty certain that the same thing's going to happen with Representative Pearson. Um, like he is a little bit newer to the scene than Representative Jones, but I tell you what, that young man, watching him speak Thursday was like seeing a star be born. And I, I think the Shelby County Commission will reappoint him as well. And then the governor's going to have to set a special election and nobody's going to run against those guys. That would be a fool's errand. And so they're going to get reelected. And you know, there've been rumors that the Speaker of the House said he wouldn't seat them. And if that happens, there's going to be a huge lawsuit because he really has no legal grounds. The Tennessee Constitution says somebody cannot be expelled twice. And so he can seat them or the city can or the state can face another lawsuit. Yeah, that reminds me. I can't recall what year it was, but Julian Bond, uh, which is a name Georgia folks would certainly uh, mm-hmm. recognize, uh, was refused. Uh, he had to sue the state, the state of Georgia, because they did not want to seat him when he won his election to the state house. So it's you know, I'm going to have to. You know, history is repeating itself, perhaps on this. I I swear. Look, I, your viewers can't see me, but it's, I'll just. I don't know who all listens to your show. I I'm sorry to say, I don't know your your listeners, but I'm just a basic white woman who was born in 1964. And, you know, I grew up in this small town just outside of Nashville where there's a Confederate statue on the square. And in the last decade, I've tried to, like, I've realized how completely ignorant I was and have tried to educate myself. And the more I know, 
you know, I guess people would say I'm woke and I hope I'm woke. But the more awake I am, the more I look at what's going on around me and see that things just haven't changed very much. It's disgraceful to me. It is disgraceful that these two young men have been expelled for doing nothing but speaking up for their constituents and recognizing this next generation of voters. So, Holly, you're in the media. How has this story played in local media? How has what's happened shaped local conversations around democracy and representation? You know, it used to be in journalism that you tried to cover both sides. And to some respect, I still think that is, it's important. But you also have to tell the truth. And the truth might not look fair to one side. But you can tell the truth, and the truth is ugly. I don't know if that makes sense. And so I think most journalists in Tennessee who are observing this realize that this just ain't right. And there's not a two sides thing. One side is acting disproportionately hostile. Um, they are taking unprecedented measures. Um, you, you know, you just have to, you just have to tell the truth. And like I said, I think that most, rep most reporters who've been covering the legislature for any length of time recognize that we are sliding further and further backwards. Um, like fascism is a po particular political philosophy that I'm not sure I would label, but there's definitely an authoritarian bent. When you have the Speaker of the House cutting the microphone, not just of these young men, but of other Democratic lawmakers, they won't allow them to debate bills. They've instituted a measure to limit the amount of time bills can be debated. Um, you know, COVID was a disaster here. Um, you know, they're, they're undoing this doctrine called mature minor where teenagers can get vaccines without parental consent. They've fired people who speak out. They fired the assistant commissioner of the Department of Health during the COVID era for speaking out about this mature minor doctrine. They fired her and then slandered her. Um, and so I think like you, you just can't cover, you can't cover Tennessee politics and not realize that we're not in a good place. We're not in a good, a healthy place, democratically speaking, with a little d. Yeah. Um, what, you know, if, if you had to forecast and say a year or two from now, or maybe just say next year, you've got presidential election next year. How do you think this impacts Tennessee? I don't think it's going to impact Tennessee much in the short term. I think we may see more voters coming out, and I think you're likely to see more voters from left of center come out if they can continue to stay fired up about about what's going on. You know, the legislature will end session in about three weeks, and because we live in this 24-7 news cycle, who knows what's going to happen in the next nine months, much less until 2024. Um, but I don't, th I don't think this is going to have a whole lot of effect on Republicans in the short term. And I don't think, I don't think that they are thinking about the long term. I think the long term, we're going to see some change. First of all, these young people, this generation, I love, I love this generation. They remind me of the young people in the sixties who were 
organizing for civil rights and pushing back against corrupt politicians in the Vietnam War. And you know what? Those kids are going to be voting pretty soon, and they're not going to put up with this crap. Like, they are having none of it. And so, like I said, I'm 58. I don't know how much change I'm going to see in my life. I hope I'm around to see it. But everything changes. And as a student of history and, you know, somebody who's been around for a few decades, I remember when the Democrats had power for so long. They were in power from Reconstruction until 15 years ago, and they became complacent. They were also corrupt, by the way. I did not notice the type of legislation they had that was so malicious, but they were corrupt. They took money. They were engaged in all sorts of sexual, you know, affairs, blah, blah, blah. Um, One was elected from prison, and their time ended, and then the Republicans took over. And I'm watching Tennessee Republicans fall into the same traps that the Democrats did in a much shorter amount of time. So in two years, maybe not a lot of change. In 10 years, I think you're going to see some of these districts have flipped. Got it. Um, Is there anything that you want Georgia and Atlanta folks to pay attention to, to know about Tennessee, about what's happening broadly? Uh, What would be your message to them? Well, Georgia, we are your neighbor. Uh, We like Georgia or at least most of us do. Um, If you feel like things are under control in your state and you feel compelled to do some good work, there are plenty of organizations in Tennessee that would welcome your support, your bodies, your feet on the ground. I advise you to check out the Equity Alliance, among other things. The Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition is another organization that's doing good work here. Um, You know, come up. Make some good trouble. Holly McCall, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Thank you, Saba.